This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. The following audio drama is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the all-new Mutual Audio Network. Taken from the pages of magazines your grandfather used to hide from your grandmother, this is Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. is a tale of war, or, more specifically, a war story. Think about it, and you'll agree there's a difference. Anybody who has been in a war has a story to tell. Sometimes it's a story about fighting the enemy, and other times, like in tonight's story, it's about simply surviving. Tonight's tale is called Convince Me, I Said, based on a story by Craig Ellis, which appeared in the November 1946 issue of Mammoth Adventure magazine. If you've been with us for our earlier episodes of Pulpery Theater, you'll know that we have brought you a wide variety of stories for your listening pleasure. We believe we have touched on every possible pulp genre, science fiction, crime, western, the supernatural, the average Joe, the macabre, the untamed frontier, the jungle, sports, romance, and espionage. Our director and producer, Mr. Pete Lutz, tells me that the war genre is the last one, so this is our twelfth and final episode for what has been a very exciting season. Pretty soon we'll have to start all over again, won't we? But before we start again, we must finish what we have, which is as we said, a war story. And we'll begin right after this short break. You're listening to Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Tune in this Tuesday to the Turnbuckle Television Cartel for the start of a three-day telethon for a very worthy cause. Yes, it's the first ever Wipeout Lycanthropy Foundation, Wolf, Telethon. Daddy, this is Wolfman Jack. You do not want to miss your chance to help the hairy-handed gent to ran amok in Kent, baby, before he gets seen in Mayfair. Tune in to TTC, Daddy, and see a true galaxy of stars, all donating their time to serve this worthy cause. Scheduled to appear, Boris Karloff, Bella Lugosi, Michael Landon, Jack Nicholson, James Spader, Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr., and Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, with special musical guests Warren Zevon, Shakira, Ozzy Osbourne, and Duran Duran. 
your ceremonies for this very special telephone will be my best friend, David Norton, baby. Mm, don't miss it. The first annual White Proud Lycanthropy Foundation Wolf Telethon. Starting Tuesday, baby, on TTC. Welcome back to Convince Me, I Said, by Craig Ellis. Tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater. Our storytellers for tonight are two sailors. Somewhat of a departure for our program, but we believe you'll follow along right away. The action starts out after the end of World War II in the Tompkinsville Navy Yard in New York, but swings back in time to the war, somewhere in the Pacific. One word of warning before we get started. Everybody knows the United States Navy has its own special language. Salty four-letter words notwithstanding. And this story contains a few nautical terms that will be used without explanation. We'll leave it to you to look them up later. We were sitting in the shade, the southern sailor and me, leaning against a building and looking out across the waters of the Tompkinsville Navy Yard to a ferry that was coming to Staten Island from Manhattan. Now, we weren't talking much because it was too hot to talk. It was almost too hot to live on a day like that. A one-and-a-half striper came walking down the dock to some PCs that were tied up near us. I'd seen him before and knew that he was the skipper of the nearest of those PCs. I watched him go aboard, watched the way he turned aft to flick a salute at the ensign, and he'd taken no more than three steps on deck when a rating ran over and hauled down that repeater they fly to show the skippers ashore. Oh, I felt sorry for that rating having to get up in this heat and pull a flag down? And for what? For what? I asked this guy who was with me. What for what? That poor guy over there, stretched out, having a fine time until the old man shows up. Makes me glad I'm on shore duty, I can tell you. What are you talking about? Tradition is what I'm talking about. Tradition in this man's navy. Now why, I ask ya, should they haul the repeater up and down all day just to show the old man's gone for an ice cream cone? Or he's playing gin in the station ward room? For what, I ask ya? Even them little PCs, they got so much tradition stowed aboard it's a wonder it don't drag them down to the bottom. You against traditions? Not all of them. Not payday and liberty, for instance but you can keep the rest of them. Oh, what are you making faces for? I'm for them. All of them. You just for them, or you got a reason? I got the best reason in the world. I'm listening. I can see that. By the way, your ears is quivering. Listen, 
I'm full of traditions because one of them once saved my life. And I know two more guys feel just the same way for the same reason. Convince me. What? What was that? I, I don't think your last statement. It must be the heat. Convince me, I said. Sure. He said, whoa, sailor, I've heard that line before. You'll look into my eyes and tell me... For reasons of security, I will not identify the exact location of this action I'm about to relate. I will merely indicate that it took place somewhere between the Carolines and the Solomons, west of both of them, and at that time, deep in Japanese waters. I was fresh out of boot camp and part of a seven-man gun crew on one of about 20 freighters in a convoy trying to sneak through to one of the advanced bases. We had the protection of a few four-stack of destroyers and a light cruiser. <laughs> that gun of ours, well, <laughs> it would have sunk the ship if we ever had a chance to fire it. It looked like a gun we'd captured from the British in the War of 1812, and it still wasn't friendly to the Americans. Our fourth day out, just before sundown, a flight of 21 Japanese bombers spotted us. They started coming down and the convoy scattered. It was every ship for himself. The destroyers started zigzagging and well, they had the speed to make it work. But this tub I was on could do maybe seven knots, going downhill. Our skipper was an old-timer who, who had been recalled from a cabbage farm. What does this old sea dog think he can do? He thinks he can learn himself some new tricks. That's what he thinks he can do. He sees the way these destroyers are moving, and he decides to do a little zigzaggery himself. Well, maybe we should have zagged when we zigged. Next thing we knew, we had two heavy bombs aboard. One took out the bow and the other sliced off the stern. The part of the ship that was left, the middle, went to the bottom like an anchor. When I looked around again, I was floating. A couple hundred yards away, I'd seen two guys climbing aboard a life raft. So, even though they were a couple of deckhands from the freighter's crew, and not Navy guys, I decided to pay them a visit. It was almost dark by the time I made it. And there I was, safe and sound, but very lonely except for these two guys. The convoy, what was left of it, scattered. It was out of sight before I got to the raft. You couldn't even see smoke on the horizon an hour later. If those destroyers came back later to hunt for survivors, they never came our way. We was orphans right from the start, and orphans was the way we stayed. was so tragic. Protect him with thoughts imagine so that he will know. Love him so, that blue eyed sailor of mine.
We had some food and water aboard, plus fishing tackle and flashlights and other gadgets. And we figured it'd be uh, just a couple days and we'd be picked up, right? Well, wrong. The days went by and the raft went wherever it wanted to go. <laughs> Sometimes it went so fast it looked like it had an appointment someplace. And after the first week, we didn't any of us know what ocean we were in. But it couldn't get worse, right? Oh, yes, it could. These two guys with me was greener than me and didn't even know the sea was salty. We lost most of our food during the night of bad weather because I trusted them to make the stuff fast. And fast was the way it disappeared. What was left didn't last much longer. And then the water gave out. In case you haven't guessed yet, things was pretty desperate. We had some poles of ore that the other guys wanted to use for oars. And I said that was fine if they knew where to go and if they cared to row 500 miles. <laughs> I used those poles to knock down an albatross, and, and once we stunned a little shark and ate its belly while the tail was still kicking. About every fourth or fifth night, there'd be a squall, and we'd catch rainwater in our shirts and pour it into these cans we had. And every day, that South Pacific sun would rise and bake us crisp before noon. And every night we'd shake with chills and fever. By the fourth week, we had blisters the size of coffee cups and barnacles were growing in our beards. <laughs> then the rafts started breaking up. So we had to keep it together by using our clothes for line. The two guys with me started breaking up faster than the raft by the fifth week which in my memory was the hungriest week. I hardly got any sleep at first because I was afraid of the skinny one. He used to look at me all day and ask me how much I weighed. How much do, do you weigh today, fella? After a while, I figured I was safe because I didn't weigh enough anymore. So I was able to sleep a little until the other guy tried to slide overboard. And after that, I had to watch him pretty close. You hungry? What? I said, are you hungry? I always get hungry when I talk about those days. Is it chow time? No, we just ate lunch a half an hour ago, pal. Uh, but I got it in with the stew burners. Get you a snack or something? Come on. You tell me the rest of the story, I get you a snack or something? Huh? Sure, sure. I just don't seem to get enough to eat these days. Let's go. Oh, well set up and handsome as a sailor man could be Was Captain John McPherson of the schooner Ben McBree A shy, modest bachelor of just two score and ten He idled
You're listening to Pulpourri Theater and the Narada Radio Company's presentation of Craig Ellis's story, Convince Me, I Said. We'll be back with Act Two of our play in just a moment. Mondays are for drama on the Turnbuckle Television Cartel and another episode of the hit series Emergency Apothecary, starring Armando Nefertiti as handsome young Russ Buckhalter, an ex-Navy SEAL turned pharmacist who's still upholding his oath to protect and defend the weak and helpless. In this week's installment, Russ is dusting the men's cologne display when a customer he's never seen before comes in with a special prescription. Hello, I know I'm a customer you've never seen before, but I want you to know that I'm Robert Leslie Quincy, world-famous author of the series of novels featuring ex-Navy SEAL-turned-sous-chef Gordon Nicholson Bainbridge, who, with his superior cooking skills, is still upholding his oath to protect and defend the weak and helpless. And I have a rash on my hands that's preventing me from writing, so my doctor gave me this special prescription for some kind of ointment. I'll be with you in a moment, sir, once I've finished dusting the men's cologne display. It seems customers believe that the cologne won't smell as nice if there's dust on the bottles. Yes, I can see how they would. I'd appreciate getting my prescription filled as soon as possible, though, because I am supposed to have my latest novel about Gordon Nicholson Bainbridge finished and to my publisher by the end of the day today. And this rash has been so distracting that I've only got one half of the first chapter completed. Okay, sir. I'm all finished here, and I can... Get down! This is a warning, Robert Leslie Quincy. Don't finish that next novel about Gordon Nicholson Bainbridge. God, what was that all about? Sounds to me like somebody doesn't like your book so much, Mr. Quincy. He warned me not to finish my book. If I do, he'll probably kill me. But if I don't, my reputation will be ruined. You, you look to me as if you were once a Navy SEAL, now a pharmacist. Surely you could help me, son. I'm so weak and helpless. Absolutely, sir. Please stay here. I'll be right back. Here you go, sir. This should do the trick. What is it? It's the ointment for your hands, sir. And I'm sure this will help. Remember, that's Drama Monday on the Turnbuckle Television Cartel and Emergency Apothecary, right after Christopher Columbus Vampire Hunter on TTC. Paperback writer. 
Hi friends, that familiar theme means it's time again for another visit from Bix Bixby and his art players. Hello Bix, welcome back to Pulpery Theater. What book will you be reviewing for us today? Thank you. It's very nice to be back again. Today, we will be dramatizing a scene from a very exciting book by Charles Dickens, Oliver Twist. Say, that's a wonderful choice, Bix. One that's been a favorite of children and adults for more than a century and a half. Charles Dickens is one of my favorite authors, too, so I'm looking forward to hearing your interpretation. Which chapter are you presenting today? Oh, this scene takes place in a boomtown during the California Gold Rush. I just know your listeners are going to love it. Well, I can't say as I recall any part of Oliver Twist taking place in a California boomtown, but I can see your Bix Bixby art players are already standing by and ready, so go ahead. Terrific! And here now, a scene from Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Morning, boss. Good morning to you, prospector. What news do you have for me today about my claim? Well, boss, I've just come from the assay office, and now don't go losing your temper, boss. The man there says that the entire vein that you thought was gold is nothing but iron pyrite. Fool's gold. Why, you no good. Whoa, boss, take it easy. Up on your feet, prospector, and talk to me with more respect, if you please. Now, what's this nonsense about fool's gold? Um, yeah, that's what the man at the assay office called it. Tain't worth a plug nickel. Why, you no good. Wait a minute, boss. I'm only telling you what the man said. I'm losing my patience, Prospector, with your disrespectful language. First you call me a fool, then you say I ain't worth... All right, all right, okay, okay. Just stop right there. How you can call this a scene from the beloved tale of an English orphan is beyond me. What are you talking about? Wasn't that breathtaking? Yes, I can honestly say it left me gasping for air. Congratulations, Bix Bixby, you've ruined yet another classic novel for generations of children and adults to come. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this segment, so let's go back to our regularly scheduled program. Turn to the Navy Yard at Tompkinsville, New York, where our two sailor friends are scrounging up a little Navy chow, and one is telling the other how strict adherence to tradition saved his life during the war. This is Pulpery Theater's production of Convince Me, I Said, starring the Narada Radio Company. I couldn't you fool a game of the West at Barnacle Bill, the sailor. 
to a yellow girl in Mandalay, said Barnacle Bill, the sailor. She danced and pranced and shimmied and shook. She wiggled with every step she took, but I left her flat, for she couldn't cook, said Barnacle Bill, the sailor. Tell me that you'll stay ashore. Tell me we will part no more. Hey, thanks, Cookie. My friend here, he was like famished. Okay, you got your snack. Let's take it over here in the shade. Well. Well, what? Well, what's the rest of the story? You up to telling me? Or are you gonna need a little nap after your second lunch? Uh, oh, excuse me. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I feel great. Uh, oh, thanks, Mac. You've done a guy a good turn. So now that I paid the piper, you gonna take up your tune again? Easy, fella, easy. Sure, sit back and relax. I ain't going nowhere. Now, where was I? You just left off with the one guy eyeballing you like you was cold cuts, and the other guy trying to give up and go overboard. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, that was the fifth week, like I said. And now we come to the sixth. By the time that started, I finally got ready to tell myself I wasn't going to be saved. I might have dived off myself, but I was too weak to stand up, and I didn't like the idea of just rolling off. After that, I lost track of the days and nights, and when I could think a little, I, I tried to figure out where we might be just for the sake of thinking about something. I knew we were finished, but I wanted to know where, see? Well, I remembered how in the Boy Scouts they taught me a little about the stars, and I tried to work out them constellations. But every time I looked up at the Big Dipper, I'd think about how nice it'd be if it was full of beef stew, and it just drove me crazy! Then came the day we spotted the sub. Our ship went to sailing out over the bar. Away, They pointed her bow to the southern star. And we're bound for the Grand. And it's It was late afternoon, and I saw a line way off against the horizon, running due south on the surface and heading towards us at an angle. I'd learned my lessons in boot camp and knew from its silhouette that this was an American sub. And a big one at that. The closer it came, the crazier we went. We were half blind from the sun and more than half deaf from the sea pounding our raft. But we were sure they'd spotted us. And we thought we'd heard the guy in the conning tower yelling at us. Then, when it was no more than a mile away from us, it submerged. Did I tell you it had gone crazy just seeing it? 
Well, you can imagine how it was with us when that sub just nosed under and vanished. At first we thought it'd come back. That it had ducked under for a good reason. But when it started to get dark and that sub still hadn't shown up again, we all knew what the score was. It hadn't seen us, nor heard us. And it had been close enough to smell us. Long we've tossed on the rolling main, now we're safe ashore, Jack. Don't forget your old shipmate, Rolly, 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 Rido. So there it was, the end, finished. I lay on my back and looked at the stars and wondered if I'd be alive the next morning. I was crying like a baby half the time and cursing myself for asking for the Navy when I went for induction the rest of the time. I really spoke my mind that night, is what I mean. And then it hit me. The big idea, I mean. Why had that sub gone under? Why, for the love of Mike, had it picked just that time to go under? There was only one answer I could figure out. It was based on a Navy tradition about subs. The tradition was that no sub crossed the equator on the surface. You hear that? You understand what I'm saying? I figured that sub had submerged because of a Navy tradition about submerging when it crossed the equator. And that meant that we, me and these two guys, were sitting right smack on the equator. <laughs> Get up! Get up! Wake I let out a yell that was louder than any of the yells I'd let out that day, and some of them had been loud enough to kill fish within a radius of a half mile. I figured I knew where we were by looking up at the stars and placing us at the equator. I grabbed my two guys and shook them and yelled at them until they understood what I was saying. I was telling them that we weren't very far from land. And then I grabbed one of them poles and used the flat ends for oars and made them take the others. Over the sea, let's go and then we rode. I don't know how fast, but we had a wake. And I don't know how far, but by morning we saw land. We hadn't had the strength to lift our eyelids the night before. But hope is what did for us. And prayer didn't hinder none either, I guess. When I said there was land just ahead, they didn't know enough not to believe me. And that's what saved us. Come cheer up, my lads, tis the glory we steer To add something more to this wonderful year To honor we call you as free men, not slaves For who are so free as the sons of the waves Hearts of all our ships, jolly sons of our men
let's take a short break, and then we'll come back with the conclusion of Convince Me, I Said, tonight's installment of Pulpourri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. And now, Chili Dogs with Extra Onions bring you, as a special feature of Pulpourri Theater, the soundtrack to the 1940 gangster flop, The Kaiser of New York, starring Clement Schildkranz, Monica Cronkite, Heinz Hofheimer, and Gina Carmelita, directed by Rodrigo Schmidt and released by Repellent Pictures. Machst mir viel Schmerzen, weißt nicht, wie gut ich dir bin. Ja, 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 ja. Jack, quiet, quiet, schüsch, schüsch. Meine Damen und Herren, let us raise our steins to the big boss, Rudolf von Stücken, der Kaiser of New York. Speech, speech, speech. My friends, my friends. You all know me as the Kaiser of New York. I am just a man who comes from a small, poor village in Germany. I was lucky to come to America, lucky to learn a good trade, and lucky to become the most powerful boss in this wunderbar city. God bless America! Yay! Okay, okay, quiet down, quiet down. Boss, for this special day, 15 banks have been specially robbed in your honor. Twenty new Mormon pop establishments have been forced to pay protection monies! Yeah! And last but not least, every Italian restaurant in the city has added Venus schnitzel and sauerkraut to its menu! Yeah! This whole city loves you, boss! Danke, Carl, danke! Except me! Just a reminder, you're listening to the soundtrack of Repellent Pictures' film, The Kaiser of New York. And here's the final thrilling moment of that fiasco. Du, du machst mir viel Schmerzen, weißt nicht, wie gut ich dir bin. Ja, 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 fühle ich allein nur für dich. Hey, Sergeant Clancy, did you hear about the Kaiser? Sure, no, Dad Sullivan. They always said that German was bulletproof. No, I guess they were right. A whole clip of ammo from Carl Kastner's machine gun, and not a single one of them landed. That don't make the man Rudolf Schwanstuck and bulletproof. That makes Carl Kastner blind as a bat. (laughs) You've been listening to the soundtrack of the Repellent Pictures gangster film The Kaiser of New York from 1940, 
brought to you by Chili Dogs with Extra Onions. And now let's go back to our regularly scheduled program. Welcome back to Convince Me, I Said, tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater. Just before the break, we heard how one of our sailors remembered a specific Navy tradition about submarines, which then helped him to save his own life and the lives of the two men with him by rowing until they found land. He now stands up, stretches, looks down at the other sailor and says, Hey, what's that line over there? Well, that line where? That line of guys over there. What are they doing? Oh, if I know, they're... Oh, hey, where are you going? I'm going over there to see what they're doing. I love standing in lines. You what? Yeah, love it. Ever since I got back, whenever I see a line of guys, I always get in at the end of it, just to see what's at the beginning. It could be a chow line, or a movie line, or a working party line. I don't care. I'll get in it. Hiya, fellas. Hey. Hi. Hmm. Yo. That's a kind of tradition, too, ain't it? Well, I guess. So? So? So don't go knocking tradition while I'm around. Here's a bona fide case where tradition saved three lives. She was built in Roman time, held together with bits of twine, and we're waiting for the day, waiting for the day, waiting for the day that we get our pay. And it really was land? American land? Nah. It was just a lost little island nobody cared about. But it had trees and coconuts and birds and turtles and... And we lived there six more weeks before Catalina spotted us and took us off. If it was a lost island, how did you know about it? <laughs> I didn't. I was crazy. I went so nuts when that sub disappeared, I just couldn't think straight no more. But I didn't know that. I really thought I could navigate, lying on my back on a raft reading the stars. But if it hadn't been for that sub... I'd never have thought of the tradition, and I'd never have made them row. We'd be fish food in the 15th generation by now. But if it wasn't for tradition, that sub wouldn't have submerged, and you'd have been saved right then and there without that wild piece of luck. Nah, we found out about that later. When we told our story to Naval Intelligence, they checked their subs and the place we'd been at, and the time, we hadn't been anywhere near the equator. Not any nearer than 200 miles. What? But, well then what made that sub go under just then? They told us that later too, after they'd checked. It, it seemed they'd spotted three zeros way up, and they crash dived before the planes could come down and take a poke at them. <laughs> We were so blind and so deaf, we never even knew them Japanese planes was around. I... Wow, I, I don't... So? So what? So don't go knocking tradition to me. 
I'm living proof of the value of tradition. Got anything to say now? Out <laughs> of there, pal. You convinced me. What? I'm still a little deaf. You convinced me, I said. Your soul is suspended to an obvious stool. Be careful to be guided by this golden rule. Be careful to be guided by this golden rule. Stick close to your desks and never go to sea. And you all may be rulers of the Queen's Navy. Stick close to your desks and never go to sea. have been listening to Convince Me, I Said, the 12th and final program of the first season of the Pulpery Theatre Series, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast were, in order of appearance, John Valadez as Sailor Number 1, Jason D. Johnson as Sailor Number 2, Skeeter Ullman as Sailor Number 3, and Dana Gonzalez as Sailor Number 4. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. Convince Me, I Said, was originally published as a short story by Craig Ellis and appeared in the November 1946 issue of Mammoth Adventure magazine. It was adapted by Pete Letts, who also directed and produced this program. Thanks for joining us, and watch for the announcements as we ramp up for the second season of Pulpourri Theatre. Additional voice characterizations by Nick Womack as Bix Bixby, Austin Hanna as The Prospector, Andres Elizondo II as Robert Leslie Quincy, Micah Blaine as Russ Buckhalter, Jason D. Johnson as Carl Kastner and as Sergeant Clancy, John Valadez as Sullivan, and Phil Boyd Studge as Wolfman Jack, as The Prospector's Boss, as the host of Insomnia Theater, as Rudolf Schwanstucken, as the Bix Bixby Introducer, and as the Turnbuckle Television Cartel Announcer. Thanks for listening, and be sure to catch our Season 2 opener, Macbeth, by William Shakespeare. The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creators and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulpourri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. Sixty-three audio. This portion of the Mutual Audio Network is brought to you by Daryl's Discount Cow Parts. Here's Daryl. Ah, I'm Daryl. Oh, you said that. We have cheaper parts of the cow for you. 
price is so low, you'll say, moo. <laughs> Cow lips, 32 cents a pound. Cow gums, 15 cents a pound. With teeth, 9 cents a pound. Hooves, 50 cents a pound. Ground up, 65 cents a pound. Stomachs, two for a dollar. And ask about an utter deal. <laughs> Yes, the same fine ingredients used by many hot dog manufacturers on your dinner table. That's Daryl's, that's me, discount cow parts. Everything from nose to tail, including the nose and tail. Stick around for another show you might enjoy here where imagination meets relaxation on the Mutual Audio Network. Thanks for listening.